Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years. I am so excited for today's show, because at 8.15, my guest is calling in from Idaho. He's a true legend in surfing. His name is Bing Copeland. Born in 1936 in Manhattan Beach, California. He's in his mid-80s. Oh, and if there's a Mount Rushmore of surfing, he'd be on it. His skills with his hands and shaping a surfboard are what makes him so special. I love to use my hands as a surgeon. I love to sculpt with my hands in marble in the mountains where Michelangelo worked. And Bing Copeland used his hands to shape some of the greatest surfboards ever made. Mm. Of the many parts of his life that fascinate me, it was when he was in high school in Manhattan Beach at Miracosta High School in the 50s. He was trying out for the baseball team. When at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he says he looked up and he noticed that the flag was blowing in the other direction. The wind was blown offshore. And it was at this moment he told himself, what am I doing here on the baseball field? The surf is up. I got to get out of here. The wind of change changed his life. And it made me think all week about where in art where in sports, where in surgery did the wind of chance determine our path in life? In art, the greatest song I've ever heard about wind in my lifetime is called They Call the Wind Mariah. And it comes from a musical on Broadway called Paint Your Wagon from 1951. It was written by Alan J. Lerner, and Fritz Lowe, their song about the wind comes from a life they both knew well in the theater. And just like Bing Copeland, your wife, your life can change on a dime, kind of like what we're putting up with now with this pandemic. These guys knew the life of the actor, director. You gotta follow that wind of change, that wind of chance, because if you don't jump on it, it'll pass you. These guys wrote My Fair Lady, Camelot, and they wrote a play called Gigi, which makes me think of Kobe and his daughter. These are some of the greatest Broadway musicals ever made, and in a minute you're going to hear their story, which will fascinate you. In sports, the greatest of all time in windsurfing, he's won 23 world championships. Starting at age 13, he's now in his late 50s, and his name is Robbie Nash. His life is all about wind and water. His ability to adapt to the ever-changing wind is what makes him unbeatable for so many years. You're going to hear about his life from him coming up as well. And in surgery, I may have been indoors in an anatomy class as a first-year medical student at Columbia, but the wind of chance and the wind of change picked me up in that room and blew me right to orthopedic surgery because of a lecture given by an orthopedic surgeon. I didn't even know what orthopedic surgery was, but at that moment, it changed my life. And I'll talk about that coming up. Clapper vision. I talked to a patient this week because I'm still going to the office. 
I'm still seeing weekend warriors, some of it virtually, some of it telephonically. Saw 70 patients this week. But one in particular was talking about using an elliptical and his hips hurt because of bursitis. And the clap revision I gave him to describe bursitis in the hip involved a number two yellow pencil and a Crayola crayon. And I'm going to share that with you coming up. Let's listen right now to the, I call the wind Mariah. Let's listen to that song. Way out here, they got a name for rain and wind and fire. Uh. The rain is test, the fire is Joe, and they call the wind Mariah. Mariah blows the stars around and sends the clouds a flying. Mariah makes the mountains sound like books were up there. Let's play Bing Copeland. Speaking of wind, which is what today's show's about, the wind of chance. Let's play Bing Copeland talking about when he saw the wind change and he knew his life was about to change. Bing Copeland. I remember I went out for baseball at Maricosta High School. I went out for baseball and uh, I was left-handed. I wanted to be a first baseman. And about the fourth or fifth day of... of, uh, tryouts and stuff, I remember looking up at the flag at the school and was blowing offshore at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I went, i got to get out of here. So I went back to the beach, and, and yeah, they definitely, uh, yeah, we weren't, look, you know, we, we, we would run around barefoot all the time and uh, let our hair grow a little too long, and we, we were not widely accepted in those days. I love the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery. So there's Bing Copeland telling you about his his heart started to beat when he saw the offshore winds and knew his the ocean was calling. Now we're going to listen. Let's first listen to Robert Goulet sing from Camelot, If Ever I Should Leave You. I just want you to listen to the talent of Robert Goulet, who's better known as Bobby when you hear Lerner and Lowe speak. But let's hear a little bit of Robert Goulet. If ever I would leave you, it wouldn't be in summer. This is from Camelot. You in summer, one of the greatest Broadway musicals. Now let's listen to Maurice Chevalier singing from Gigi. And the reason I'm playing this now is you're going to hear these two men who wrote these songs talk about the world of chance and the wind of chance and change. Four little girls get bigger every day. This is Maurice Chevalier, born in 1888. So now let's listen to the Broadway of Learn Low 1 and 2. Listening to Bobby, Fritz and I were just talking about the capriciousness of chance in a theatrical career. Yes, take the case of Bobby. It was a matter of five minutes. We were about to leave for Europe to look for Lancelot for Camelot. We thought we'd seen everyone on this side of the ocean. Five minutes before we left the office, an agent called and pleaded with us to listen to Bobby. A matter of five minutes. Yes, and so a theatrical career began. 
Marie Chevalier oh. was telling us that he was singing in a little cafe in Paris for nothing when an old professional just happened to overhear him and suggested the audition for a local music hall. He did, and he got his first professional job. Incidentally, do you happen to know when that was? In 1901. Yes, and with that audition, <clears throat> I suppose, began one of the most amazing theatrical careers of our time. And even more amazing, Alan, <clears throat> after 60 years, he's still as eager and enthusiastic as he must have been the day he began. The wind. The wind may be blowing, but it can appear in other ways as well, and you got to be ready, whether in sports, in art, or in surgery. The way these two guys actually even met was happenstance. The wind blew in the right direction. Let's hear Alan J. Lerner being interviewed with Tony Thomas. We'll go one through six. Mr. Lerner, you said a little while ago you met Fritz Lowe, Frederick Lowe. Well, that's uh, a simplification. I mean, how, how do you meet a man with whom you're going to do such marvelous work? Well, I suppose the stars were looking down on us that day. I was uh, in, in the Lambs Club, which is an actors and writers club in New York City. And as I was on the way to the uh, to wash my hands, actually, uh, Fritz Lowe was sitting at a table in the, in the restaurant, and he, he said, stop me, and he said, uh, say, you write lyrics, don't you? And I said, uh, yes, I did, uh, two years ago at college. And he said, uh, well, I don't have a lyricist. Do you want to write with me? Well, I didn't even know who he was. I just said yes. So I'm, probably because I thought anybody who was a member of the Lambs Club must be a genius, you see. Well, I didn't <laughs> realize he was. And we started working together just, just like that. So we met that afternoon and started to work. Well, it, it sounds feasible. <laughs> <laughs> Not believable, but that's, that's, that's exactly the way it happened. It was one of the happiest meetings in theatrical history because the two of you seemed to get along professionally, splendidly. I mean, well, we the did. music and the lyrics were just a marvelous combination. Well, we were together 18 years, so that's, that's quite a hunk out of everybody's life. Uh, the, the question to ask is, why did you stop? Well, we stopped, unfortunately, because Fritz, in 1958, had a massive coronary. And he had a very bad heart attack. And... Um, he felt, he, he decided he would try once more with Camelot, but he was terribly concerned about his health as well he should be. And uh, he's older than I am, he's 17 years older than I am. And he, you see the world, I must interrupt myself, there are two kinds of composers in a way. There are those who compose with their fingers, in other words, who improvise, and there are those who sort of compose in their head, the way Kurt Weill, let's say, did. But Fritz was a, a finger composer. He sat at the piano and he really sweated it out. I forgot it. And he was afraid that the passion that he put into composing was a strain on his heart. Now, whether it is or was or not, uh, is immaterial, because as long as he thought so, that could do the damage. And I think with good logic, he said to himself, why should I go through this and why should I agonize? And uh, it'll deprive, it would have deprived him of all the joy of creating. And so he decided to retire. And that was the reason we stopped working together. It's a matter of life or death. Exactly. Bing Copeland's going to talk about that. At age 75, he realized he was done surfing because he physically just couldn't do it anymore. The similarities continue. When a lyricist sits down with a blank piece of paper. How do you come up with a song that's so powerful? It's just like the surfer looking at that shape, that blank piece of fiberglass, styrofoam, balsa wood, and how do you sculpt like Michelangelo? How do you create something out of nothing? 
It's never perfect as you might imagine, but you do have to visualize the end result from the moment you start. Let's listen to playback. Alan J. Lerner, the two of them talking about creating some of their songs. This I find fascinating, and it's the same thing as shaping a surfboard, starting from scratch. One through five. Once, once it was determined in our own minds that, the, that dramatically the character of Higgins called for a, an actor rather than a singer, then it became this is my third lady. problem. Yes, in other words, instead of uh, writing a baritone solo for Professor Higgins, the music had to be written in such a way that a non-singer could sing it. In other words, no uh, sustained notes. I'd love to show it to you. All right, let's see. Well, Alan found the title, uh, I've grown accustomed to have faith. Now, if I had written this, uh, the music like this, I've grown accustomed to have faith, he could never have sustained it. In, so I wrote it the other way, sure. I've grown accustomed to her face. In other words, it, it was set exactly the way one speaks it. With a and normal drop. With a normal drop in the voice. Like a rap song. And all the songs that Higgins sang, sang in the play were all written in the same way. Well, now, you said just now that, that Alan gave you the title. Is that the way you create together? Do, always. You, start with, yes, you, always, you always start with the title. Always start with the title, and then I give, a, give the title to Fritz. Fritz writes the music to the title, knowing oh. the dramatic intent. And after he is finished, then I write the lyrics to the music. Well, what, what happens if you ever get the wrong title? Do you get it? Yes, yes. Frequently. Yes. Very often. Oh, yes. At the wrong song, yeah. the wrong place. Oh, yes, we go all the way through. We not only get the wrong title, but then we write the wrong song to go with it. Yes. Oh, Gigi, for example, in the title song, Gigi, we originally written a song called She's Too Young for Me. Yes, remember that? Yeah. We went ahead. I don't remember the lyrics now. We wrote the whole She's Too Young for Me. Much too young we discovered that was wrong dramatically and then wrote the song Gigi. Am I a fool without a mind in which he discovers that the child has grown up? Did Gigi serve the same purpose that the other song was supposed to do? Yes, but I served it more accurately. I see. Dramatically. I see. Now here came the title on the third line. I took that home to write and discovered that I couldn't always reach the climax on the third line dramatically. <laughs> so then Fritz rewrote it and made the title come first. So I would start with the title like and then it. build to a climax each time. If ever I would leave you, it wouldn't be in summer. How I'd leave in summer, I never would know. This is like sculpting in marble, shaping a surfboard. They're, they're sculpting a song and working it and working it. It's fascinating to me. Well, what about someone in sports who must adapt and shape and deal with the wind itself? There was nobody better, is nobody better than Robbie Nash. Let's listen to Robbie Nash, one through six. Yeah, wind and water uh, are a great combination. I basically grew up playing with both of those, was lucky enough to somehow find a career path that included them. Um, and they're two elements that, for what I do, are incredibly three-dimensional, um, always changing, uh, adaptable. You know, I've been able to sort of evolve my career through the 
decades playing with wind and waves in different ways, whether it's windsurfing and all those aspects, kiting in its various aspects, going into foiling and SUP and whatnot. But wind especially is just, it's one of those things you can't control. It's always changing. It's a variable that it's tangible, but not really, not really. Um, and it's it keeps things interesting. You know, it, it's an environment that always challenges you. You're never going to perfect it, no matter how much you practice. Uh, doing what we do, you, you're always going to make mistakes. You're always going to get the unexpected. And it keeps life interesting. Basically being a kid and playing and getting up and falling down and learning something new and falling down. And, again, being in an environment that's so safe. If I were an extreme athlete in any other sport, I would be long gone. You know, my... My body would have fallen apart ages ago. I fall into the water, you know, at pretty low speeds from relatively low heights. And, you know, until pretty recently, never even hurt myself. And I knocked my teeth out, lots of cuts and bruises, but minor things compared to almost any other sport. When I broke my pelvis kiting three years ago, that was the first real injury I, I ever had. It was a bad one, uh, but it took a long time to get there. If you're a skateboarder, motocross, free scot, I mean, you could just name almost any other sport. That is almost a guarantee, that kind of thing, and often. So, yeah, wind is a, a great element to be able to be creative with, especially when water is the element that you're falling into. <laughs> so I'm pretty lucky. Sometimes a wipeout in a really big wave is easier than a wipeout in a smaller wave because you just become part of this mass of water. And there's some violent tumbling and turning kind of at the end of it. It's more not being able to breathe. The wipeout is fine. You know you're not going to like it ripped apart it's just sometimes really wishing you could get a breath earlier than you you can my only close call at jaws was was just being held down so long that i almost blacked out and that was that sucked i don't want to do that again but otherwise big waves and water are sometimes just this methodical almost it just everything slows down and it's calmer than like wiping out in a double overhead wave where you get pounded and bottom violently you know busted off the bottom and so, yeah, big waves are sometimes not so bad. What we learned from Robbie Nash, who makes a living in sports with the wind, just as he says, you must be adaptable, willing to turn on a dime. Same thing when Bing Copeland in high school saw the winds offshore. That's it for baseball. I got to go join the ocean. And when you hear these great lyric and lyricists, composers, Alan J. Lerner, Fred Lowe, it's only guys like that who can write a song the wind they call Mariah. They can write a song for someone like Rex Harrison who can't sustain a note. Adaptable. Wind. Unbelievable. Coming up next, we're going to do some clap revision. I'm going to take your calls. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Listening to Jimi Hendrix, The Wind Called Mary. Today's show is all about wind. Being adaptable to it. Turning on a dime. Beautiful thing. Alright, the number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's do some clap revision. We got callers. Let's go to Laura. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Good morning, Dr. Clapper. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Appreciate thanks it. For be thanks for being there. We really love you. 
<laughs> Thank you. Now I have to adjust my headset. <laughs> okay. I'm calling on behalf of my 32-year-old daughter who okay. was playing on the trampoline, and then something popped, and we went for an MRI, and she has complete or near-complete ACL tear. Wow. So what's fascinating is we're talking about your daughter. And when Title IX came about, finally, which said, listen, if the boys are going to play football and the college is going to give this much money to have a football program, and it's true the football program generates the big dollars in college, but we have ladies here. We have girls as well who want to be athletes. So Title IX said, we're going to now fund as many girl programs as we have boy programs. It's only fair. It's only right. Well, guess what we as orthopedic surgeons learned when that moment occurred in Title IX, which we're going to talk about next week because next week my guest is actually a female orthopedic surgeon who really specializes in the uniqueness of girls getting injured as well. Um, but what we learned in orthopedics was five times the number of ACL tears occur in women than in boys, than in men. And so what is the reason for it? Well, in order to have a baby, a woman versus a man, the pelvis must be wider. So if the pelvis is wider in a girl, you still got to get to the knee joint. So if you're starting with a pelvis that's wider and the knee is now further towards the midline, that angle puts extra stress on the ACL in the knee joint. So wider pelvis is one reason. How girls jump or land from a jump because of that widened pelvis and how their muscles work, all these beautiful reasons. And right away, someone also said, well, girls are different than boys because of hormones. Maybe there's a relationship of when you tear the ACL to when the hormones are surging during menstruation. So there's all kinds of factors. My favorite one is the shape of the bone itself in the knee. And here's a clapper vision for you. When you pull your car into your garage, let's say your garage is a two-car garage. Well, your car easily can fit because the walls are wide enough, the ceiling is wide enough. This rectangular shape to your garage allows your car to pull in. But what if you lived in a Native American teepee, an A-frame, a triangular shape, and you try to pull your car into a teepee, you know that it's not wide enough, it's not high enough, because it's this triangular opening. It will impinge. Well, the space in the femur, it's called the femoral notch, where the ACL, the ligament, lives in women, more often than not, is shaped like a teepee. It's like an A-frame. So the mere fact of rotating your leg, it's like a guillotine. The wall of the garage hits the car, hits the ligament, and it tears. And in many of the athletes we see who tear their ACL without contact, Reggie Wayne, Carson Palmer, I can go through Derek Rose, the list of the male athletes, many of them tear it without anyone touching them because they have an A-frame shape to their femoral notch. So I suspect that's what happened to your daughter. She's still so young. It's my strong opinion that if her knee feels loose and is unstable, then she will absolutely benefit from having it fixed. And it's my opinion. There's a book I wrote called Heal Your Knees with Linda Yui. And you will see many options. You can use a cadaver. You can use a hamstring. No, 
I prefer if, you, if she came to me, she should use her own patella tendon. That's the gold standard that we use in Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Peekaboo Street. You name the athlete, we use the patella tendon. I hope that helps. Dr. Popper? Yes. What happens now? We're going to get her a brace, and then she doesn't have a pool to do the exercises in. And then are we looking at surgery for sure? No. It's rare, and I have some patients, and I can remember every single one of them because it's that rare. And they all happen to be women, not men, who I've taken care of, and I've avoided surgery. But truth be told, it's rare. It's rare when the other structures in the knee, the medial meniscus, the medial clara ligament, that these other structures are able to compensate enough for someone with an absent or dysfunctional ACL. It can happen. So this is a case where the pool is not really my favorite. It's a stationary bike. So get her a stationary bike. And it is wrong, in my opinion, to operate right away. The data shows you should let the swelling come down. Let the range of motion return so that things that are also injured in this situation, let them heal so that you're dealing with an isolated ACL. So the answer is there's a, there's a hope that she won't need surgery. It's slim, but in the meantime, get her a stationary bike for range of motion and strengthening. And the exercise to do, you'll find in the book I wrote, uh, heal your knees. So you know, we're not doing elective surgery now anyway, but if she just did it, even if we were doing elective surgery, I would make her wait anyway. Um, and what you can do if you want, you can call my office and I can look at the MRI and then I can advise you to see what else she may have injured inside her knee, if that helps. It does. Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. Uh, it's a my pleasure. And listen, it's hard for me to tell you to find a total stranger today and do something nice for them because you're supposed to be indoors. But I can already tell you're a good person and... uh Listen, whatever we can do to make the life a little bit easier for our neighbors, that's all that matters. So find someone in the neighborhood who can't go shopping and see if we can help them out. That's how we pay it forward. And thanks so much for the confidence and for the call. I appreciate it. All right, let's, we have another caller. Okay, Judy, I can take your call. Hi, thanks so much for calling in. It's Dr. Clapper. Oh, great. Um, I've been a fan for years, and as a result <laughs> of your advice, I'm in the pool constantly exercising um, my arthritic knees. Um, great. But here's my question now. What do you do for a living, Judy? Um, I'm, I'm, I guess, retired. I haven't what been working. What did you do? I used to work for lawyers. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm not going to start with the lawyer jokes. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. And where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in the Midwest in Kansas City, Missouri, but now I live in Studio City. Till what age were you in Kansas City, Missouri? Um, ages birth through eight, seven, 18 when I went to college. Did you ever see a tornado? I saw many tornadoes. Oh, my God. They say everything in life that's scary sounds like a freight train. Did yeah. it sound like a freight train? Yeah, definitely scary, but there was also barbecue to make it better. <laughs> You're the first. Great minds think alike. The uh, antidote no. for a tornado is food. It's a barbecue. I love you. Exactly. That's <laughs> why I've been a fan for so many years. <laughs> All right. Talk to me. How can I help you? What's up? Okay. So the arthritis in my knees is um, underneath my kneecaps. I don't yes. have my MRI with me, but I have space between my the major bones in my knee, but it's uh -huh. the kneecaps that are a problem. And so and that pool, usually leads to difficulty 
getting up from a seated position, yeah. going up and down stairs. Correct. And it's one of the most neglected areas by orthopedic surgeons or rheumatologists because nobody ever really focuses on probably, in my opinion, the most important part of the knee joint is how the patella, how the kneecap is used to get you out of the chair to fight gravity. And, um, yeah, you can have a pretty-looking x-ray with a femur in the tibia. has a wide space. And people say, your x-rays look fine. No, you're just not looking in the right spot. Just like Dr. Ranawat taught me years ago, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. So if the person you're seeing sees that x-ray and says, you look fine, they're not looking everywhere. They're not looking at the critical area. And that is why the history that the patient gives you, the physical exam, literally putting the palm of your hand on the front of their kneecap and feeling what's known as crepitus to feel the bone on bone behind the kneecap, this tells you more than any MRI or any x-ray can ever tell you. Right. Well, thankfully, you know, because of you, the exercising in the pool, I I have no pain in my knees, you know, I, I, Great. I can walk just fine usually, but What's happened is because of the the virus isolation, the pool that I go to is closed at LA Valley College. So so I haven't been able to swim, and I've been walking instead. And yeah. I walk. Do you have access to a stationary bike? Um, I I do I do, which I I just switched to because what happened when I'm walking, no pain, but mm. my left knee will just give out sometimes. Yep, yep, yeah. You need to keep your quad, your hamstring, your calf muscles strong. I'm not saying get to a half an hour immediately, three days a week on the bike okay. while we're in isolation, but start with five minutes, start with 10 minutes, three, okay. four days a week, okay. get on the bike, do what's comfortable, and you'll be able to increase it, and that's what you're going to do while you can't get to the pool. The pool I love, the bike I love, these are the best things to keep your legs strong. And remember, do not let them stick a cortisone shot, stem cells, no. or any needles in your knee. No, no. way. No, no. You, you've trained me, but but I shouldn't. But I shouldn't walk. You can walk to clear your head, but it's it's not. It doesn't count for me as a good exercise. Okay. But bike three, four days a week okay. for a half an hour is your best bet. Okay. Cool. Okay. All right, young lady. Thanks so much for being a fan. I appreciate it. Okay. And uh, be safe. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. God bless. All right, Warriors, we're going to take a break. The number is 877-710-ESPN. I want to talk about one of the most important people in my life who passed away this week. He made me an artist. His name was Mort Drucker. And if you go on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, you'll see a picture, a portrait he made of me. And I want to talk about how I got to meet my hero, Mort Drucker. I'll take your calls as well. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show every Saturday morning. Away out here, they got a name for rain and wind and fire. The rain is test, the fire is and they call Oh, I love this song. The blows, the stars around, sends the clouds flying. That's the wind they call Mariah. It comes from the Broadway musical Paint Your Wagon, 1951, written by Alan J. Lerner and the music by Frederick Lowe. At the top of the hour, you'll hear these guys talk about their process and how you write a song. Again, a blank page for lyrics and for the music. 
Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they have to write a song for Rex Harrison for My Fair Lady, which they wrote, who can't sing. They invented the rap song, basically, because he couldn't sustain a note. So they wrote all those songs that he has to sing in My Fair Lady where he doesn't have to sustain a note. It's like Bing Copeland, my guest at 815. You start with a blank shape and you use that skill saw and hand tools and sandpaper and you create the nose, the tail, the rails in the surfboard. You have to almost see the finished product before you even start. When I do hip surgery and shoulder surgery, I almost have to see the spur is gone before I actually remove the spur. You have to be adaptable. And if it's one thing wind is, wind makes you have to be adaptable. Either that or you're going to get blown away. Literally. Such a cool topic today. I cannot wait to talk to Bing Copeland at 8.15 about his life, a journey through the world of sports. But before we do, we got to talk about a little food. I can't tell you about a restaurant to go to because you're trapped. We're in quarantine. You have to stay home. So I've rediscovered 